Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. again for October 14th, 2020. Joining us once again is Sandra. My relationship with Charlie the Tuna was strictly plutonic swindle. (laughs) I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. According to Twitter, you hate Alan Moore. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. Well, I, I think I kind of know. I didn't read anything directly, but I indirectly, he went on a rant about comic book movies again. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, or someone asked him a question. And he was like, oh, comic book movies are a blight on human existence or something like that. I mean, he's not wrong. I just think I just don't like him. <laughs> well, I did a little research just seeing the very tip of the headline of what he had said, I could pretty much quote verbatim whatever that article was going to tell me. But what I did was I went back to when he first started complaining about comic book movies. Mm -hmm. Then I started matching a few things up. Every time he starts complaining about comic book movies, do you realize that he's promoting something of his that is coming out? That's the only time he gives interviews unless something comes out. Well, that's the whole point. There, that's the quickest way. I mean, it's like a lot of these uh, nobodies, like when Bill Maher, and I hate that I even know that guy's name. I'd completely forgot. I honestly thought that guy had faded into obscurity after Amazon Women and the Avocado Jungle of Death movie from the early 80s. Then he pops back up on the radar because he's saying negative things about Stan Lee. His ratings were in the dumper. He's had a TV show for like 20 plus years. Yeah. Well, that's what I discovered. (laughs) HBO did a wonderful job of hiding it. (laughs) Well, it's either put him on or or paid money for a real show. So which one's cheaper? Well, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you all the way on that. So anyway, his ratings were in the dumper. And so he hits on Stan Lee out of nowhere. Martin Scorsese, I believe, was legitimate in what he was saying so far. I believe he believed what he was saying because he was put out that he couldn't get his film made when studios were throwing gazillions of dollars at the Marvel movies and the DC movies and comic book movies. If you watch, every time someone says something like that against the superhero movies, they're promoting whatever their product is. They're promoting themselves. That's the quickest way to get to an audience in mass is to diss something that so many people like. And when Alan Moore said it this time, I, I couldn't help but see that he was promoting something that he's got coming up a TV show or a streaming show or something like that. Then I started going back and yeah, every time he opens his mouth, he's promoting something. Yeah. I don't think Alan Moore believes his own press releases is what I'm getting at. Probably. Well, his fans are annoying too. Well, yeah, but there's segments of fans everywhere that are annoying. It's really bad though. I- Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, part of the issue is that some people are asking him questions that provoke or they want to get that 
clickbait mm-hmm. response. The uh, man wrote Watchmen. He's going to be asked questions about comic books. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not even sure it's the comic book questions. I think it's the asking him what he thinks of the state of the superhero comics now is like, well, why don't you just stand out in the street and ask somebody to run run you over? <laughs> they want Alan Moore. And there's always the fans that want the high ground. All of the different fandoms want the high ground on something. I don't understand when it went from enjoying something to absolute manicism. Well, I hope this state responsible. Alabama and Auburn, for example. none of them enjoy what they're watching all that matters is who gets the most imaginary points (laughs) well corporations are our new gods so people are going to be fanatics over it well we've been over that they've just tapped into it everybody wants to choose Mm -hmm. a side be a side be reinforced as part of something i have no problem with saying that Wonder Woman is a good movie. The fact that I love the Marvel movies doesn't play into it one way or the other. Wonder Woman was an outstanding movie. I honestly do not care for the rest of what they've released. I know that Aquaman is Aquaman is better than Justice League and Superman versus Batman, but I think it's a long way from Wonder Woman. It doesn't get me one way or the other, and especially as a Star Wars fan. My God, Star Wars fans are the absolute worst. And I hate referring to myself as a fan. I want to call myself something different. And the only thing that keeps coming to my mind is Star Wars lover. But I don't like the way that sounds either. Star Wars lover? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really? Big loving. (laughs) There's a lot of people out there in Star Wars quote-unquote fandom that are calling themselves fans that absolutely, positively are not fans. They just want to bitch and complain about things. I'm not a fan of anything. Well, I, and that's what I we think, love about you. I think, it, I think part of the deal of being a fan is complaining about things, but I don't think it should be the whole thing you do. I think some people carry that to an extreme, but if it's something you care about, you have your own perception of what appeals to you. As long as you realize that, hey, that's not necessarily what's going to be done with that character or that world or whatever that's not your property i think that's the line is when people start thinking it belongs to them exactly um, then what then is people think they can do better than the people that's paid to do the actual real work on it and then they hook up with people online that think the same thing but none of them actually tell the other one about how they would handle something or what their story is, because then that would cause a schism there, because one person would think that their proposed storyline is better than the other person's. No, no, not necessarily. But most of it, I mean, a lot of stuff has to do with shipping fictional characters. No, these two characters have to be together, or these two characters have to be together. If, if they're not, then they're doing it wrong. <laughs> I don't have a problem with fans complaining too much. The real problem is when fans become entitled. And I understand what you're saying. Please do not refer yourself as Stan, the Star Wars lover. Uh, (laughs) No, 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 I'm not. (laughs) Let's face it, fan. The word fan is actually not a good word. It comes from the word fanatic. (laughs) Maybe enthusiast. That's how, that's one way I've, I've looked at it. I'm a comic book enthusiast. I'm a namer fan, but I am definitely a comic book enthusiast. <laughs> I can just well, it's just it's just society in general. All it teaches us now to do is just hate. <laughs> could could you see Jason in the store and somebody come in and introduce themselves as a comic book enthusiast? <laughs> he'd, he'd immediately come to the office and say, "Dan, you need to get your ass out here. We've got a comic book enthusiast on the floor." <laughs> 
I'm not dealing with this comic book enthusiast. <laughs> oh, Lord. I think he's got his own personal driver. <laughs> Somebody to turn the pages for. Yeah, we need to come up with better terminology. Like creepy, His Star Wars lover sounds creepy. <laughs> Star Wars lover is a real quick way to get a news article wrote about you. <laughs> There's a picture stand with with one of his black Star Wars T-shirts with his arms crossed, smiling at the camera. <laughs> Local man investigated for loving Star Wars. <laughs> Fondling the Star Wars Legos. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here right well, now. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I'm saying it's creepy. That's the connotation of Star Wars lover. <laughs> One of the funniest things, and in relation to this fandom thing, is way back when. Way, way back when, a Starfleet group and Starfleet, the Star Trek fan club, it used to be this big thing. They actually used to do really, really good things for society. They would back up blood drives. They would get out and they would promote worthwhile charities. And and it just kind of diminished over the years. There is so much infighting going on into these little section of Starfleet fan clubs, like the Birmingham fan club is called the Hephaestus. And at one time, many years ago, several members of the Hephaestus decided that the Hephaestus was just inhibiting them somehow. I forget how. I don't know the entire story. And so they filed petition with Starfleet headquarters, real thing, not making it up, to break away from the Hephaestus and form their own group. The headquarters of the Starfleet fan club for Star Trek gave them permission to start off with a quote-unquote shuttle before they moved them up to a full ship. (laughs) A shuttle, like the little one that comes out of the ship? I guess so. And goes down the planets? Yes. Yeah, I assume they're just referring to the size of the new chapter that's forming. And so the shuttle needed a place to meet. So we offered up the comic book shop. No charge. Just come in here and meet. You're more than welcome to. And you get a discount and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so this new group comes in and Jason's there. Now, I've been trying to get Jason to go home for the last hour because I don't want the commentary. (laughs) (laughs) Then why is he there? (laughs) He was just there. I mean, it was a normal work day. I was just trying to get Jason to go home before the Starfleet people got there. So the new Starfleet people come in, or this new chapter of Starfleet people come in, and they're all in uniforms. Some of them are homemade. Some of them are not. And if it's your thing, it's fine. It doesn't phase me. Very few aspects of fandom phase me. I don't like the infighting of fandom. But if you're dressing up, you're doing your own thing, you're not hurting anybody, I don't care. And so they come in, they're all dressed up. And naturally, 
rather than having left through the back door like he said he was, Jason comes into the floor and then he's just standing there staring at him in the back of the room. And the captain or the leader comes up. Now, I'm captain so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And this next one introduces himself to me. And I'm just really trying to get him into their little meeting room. I'm half Vulcan and half Delton. So watch out when Pon Far comes around. <laughs> I'm just kind of standing. Yeah, yeah. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Actually said that. And they all go down and this is our group doctor and blah, 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 blah. And I finally get them off the main floor and into the room. And I'm standing there and Jason just kind of casually walks up to me at the counter when it's me and him by herself. And he's looking at the back room and then he looks at me and then he finally says, those idiots realize they're not on an actual starship, right? (laughs) (laughs) So mean. (laughs) (laughs) They really don't think that they're a captain a doctor or an engineer, right? They know they need degrees, right? (laughs) Oh. Jason doesn't get invited to very many parties. I can imagine not. (laughs) Don't puncture our role play, man. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, he was kind enough that they got out of earshot before he said anything. (laughs) I kind of think that a lot of this is Alan Moore being smart enough to know how to get how to garner attention out there. Even if you hate what he says or get mad at him like that, you're still going to watch whatever TV show he's managed to put out or something, aren't you? Uh, No, I'm not. You're not? Why would I? I don't know. It's Alan Moore. It might be interesting. I doubt it. It's Alan Moore. It doesn't detract from Watchmen. No, no. But Watchmen Watchmen was like, what, 35 years ago? Yeah, 35 years ago. Okay. That was 35 years ago. Well, yeah, his last stuff, the last thing that he was most noted for, the last comic book that he put out that got the most press and attention was Lost Girls, wasn't it? I yeah, know I, mean, he he, I mean, he still did stuff and he'd dabble in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but Lost Girls was the main thing. Even yeah. then, that's just him working with someone else's material. Well, yeah, all he did was turn the fairy tales pornographic. And and original. It, it, yeah, it wasn't really, at first I was like, Okay, he's got to have something to this. There's got to be an edge to this or some Alan Moore-esque thing. But when you get it and you look through it, all it is... I mean, there's really not. It's just yeah, it's no. stuff I've seen a million times before. Yeah, let's make Snow White X-rated because that hasn't been done over and over and over again. I think the last real hard-hitting Alan Moore thing that I was really interested in that I felt was just pure Alan Moore greatness was Promethea. Yeah, the ABC stuff he did was all good. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, I like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but I think Promethea is underappreciated. He did some more outstanding work in Promethea. And just because he was screwing around with the ways comic books are presented to the reader, I think that turned a lot of people off and it shouldn't have. You know, that last comic book, the last issue of Promethea was kind of like a giant fold out. Why would that turn anybody off? That sounds absolutely cool. It does. But again, you go back to this. Everything has to be a certain way or it's not that. People get frustrated when they're asked to go out of their comfort zone in regards to what they consider entertainment. I never necessarily looked at Alan Moore's stuff as entertainment as much as I did. I don't know what you'd call it, involvement or something along those lines. But yeah, it's been a long time since he's actually turned out. You've got that psychedelic lizard thing or whatever, chameleon or whatever it's called. And it it just doesn't. He did a lot of real rapey comics. 
I don't six and one half dozen the other on Alan Moore. I still think his stuff's genius, and I don't think people like Tom King need to go back and bastardize it like we will see later on in the program. Rorschach. <laughs> yeah, I was whatever that may be. I was expecting more vitroy, more Albertness on the Alan Moore question here. Well, Stan just kept talking. <laughs> <laughs> we got a few emails here. First email is from Bryant. Bryant writes, I hope things are going well. I continue to look forward to each episode. Thank you, Bryant. Bryant just recently reread 1990s Namor by John Byrne, his favorite creator. He still enjoyed it. He thought the arc with the Mars twins went on too long, and he'd love to hear a few quick thoughts from Sandra about this particular run compared to some of the other Namor series. Sandra draws in a deep breath. Um. (laughs) Quick comments. Quick comments. (laughs) One quick comment is I love John Byrne's art. I thought the concept of, especially at that time, because you got to remember, I think Wall Street, the movie came out with Mike Douglas, and we were also dealing with huge amounts of businessmen, Wall Street, investors, all that stuff. Greed is good. Casting Namer as a owner of a corporation to take on pollution, environmental issues was a great ideal, but then it just went nowhere. <laughs> I mean, He became the CEO and there was like very little. Well, I mean, I guess there was sludge. But anyway, but then I found out that wasn't I don't think that was even John Byrne's ideal. So I was like, hmm, I have mixed feelings about that arc. I know it's a favorite for a lot of people. It's not one of my favorites because I don't particularly like the ideal. There was several changes or explanations that John Byrne made that I I just did not work for me and I didn't see why they even needed to be there. None of that needed to be explained. Oxygen imbalance. Namorita was a clone. Oh, God forbid. The hybrids are sterile. If you like John Byrne, you're going to like that series. But also the last half of the series was really more about Iron Fist than Namor. It really Um, was, wasn't it? He started out strong with Namor and then he lost interest and wanted to bring back Iron Fist. And then that was the book he did it with. And I think Wolverine came in. I'm a huge fan of John Burns, too. But Mm -hmm. after Man of Steel and his Superman run, it seemed like... Anything that came after Fantastic Four, he had a very limited attention span for. It just really seemed like he lost interest. She-Hulk, I mean, She-Hulk, I I really liked. Well, I think what John's Byrne problem was, beyond just being John Byrne, is that all those guys got big in the 90s, even before they went to Image. And John Byrne was no longer the hot thing, and John Byrne no longer got the red carpet rolled out for him every time he did something. Yeah, I can see that, too. I thought he was still pretty big stuff then. I think part of the problem was, wasn't he doing another book then? Was he doing West Coast Avengers then? I think he was. I think that was was West Coast. Yeah. I think he was doing two books. The man was a workhorse. He did a lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm going to say, though, one of my favorite Namor arcs was right after the burn run. That was the Bob Harris and Jay Lee dark fantasy arc. I know John Byrne fans were like, oh, my God, what is going on with my world? Because if you look at John Byrne's Namor and then you look at what Jay Lee was doing, the contrast was just completely different. He lost a lot of, of readers then. But anyway, I understand it's it's a favorite run for a lot of people. That's the namer that they were introduced with, but it's not my favorite namer. Let's put it that way. Next email. I think there should be more discussion about Harry Potter and why he does not have an ongoing comic book. No. Mariah. I'm sorry, Albert. I said no. Why not? 
Because Harry Potter, this is a comic book podcast. Harry Potter's like a comic book. Well, yeah, but she's asking why Why? Why, why doesn't, doesn't he have a... J.K. Rowling says he cannot have a comic book. Does That's exactly really? right. Yes. Yes, she does. Honestly? Yes. Yeah, because, oh, because if she would have allowed it, they would have, DC would have put that thing out. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. <laughs> that would have single-handedly changed the entire structure at DC Comics. It would It would have changed yeah. the industry. Yeah, it would have changed everything right there. Harry Potter would have ensured that physical comic books on the shelves would last for as long as that Harry Potter series did. You see, this is funny. I used to say this behind the counter at Kingdom. I would have loved to have seen nothing more than an adaptation of the books come out in comic book format. And that by itself would have changed everything. What J.K. didn't want is she didn't want continuity disruptions. Because if you've watched any of the behind the scene things on J.K. Rowling, that woman's uh, that woman's got notebooks stacked up, an entire library full of stuff that she's written herself on the past thousand years of witchcraft leading up to Hogwarts, the formation of Hogwarts as a school. And then she's got projected blood lineages from like Luna Lovegood and the botanist that Luna Lovegood married, their children and their children's children, and so on down the line. This is more than just something she's made money at. This is her world, and she's very protective of it. She knows how comic books operate enough to know better than allow them to come in and have carte blanche about a section of the Harry Potter reality that nobody's paying attention to that seems prime for comic books. But at the same time, I think if she just simply allowed an adaptation of the Harry Potter comic books, I think that would be wonderful, too. Why hasn't she just write it herself? Well, she's a little busy. She's writing other things, and she's not a comic book scriptwriter. She's not going to do that. If she's going to write something, it's going to be a novel. She's turned out several other successful novels that are not Harry Potter. They're not as successful as Harry Potter, but that doesn't preclude them from being successful books. But I think an adaptation would be fine. You get Peter David to do the dialogue, and you get Amanda Connor to draw the art. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. What are you saying? You get P. Craig Russell to do the art. You get Damon, oh. Neil Gaiman to clean up her script. Clean up her script. They're novels. <laughs> I don't know if Neil Gaiman would co- would come in no. to do that. I mean, he didn't but P. Craig Russell would draw it. So anyway, Mariah, that's why we don't have Harry Potter comic books. Okay, next question. What the hell is wrong with Stan? Red <laughs> five guy. Albert, Sandra, what the hell is wrong what with is Stan? He? What? That's it. That's one line from red five guy. What oh, the what? hell is wrong with Stan? What is he complaining about? Well, I don't know. We got the email after last week's podcast. And, you know, at the very end, after the end credits oh. Oh, and everything, yeah. I included a little something. So maybe that's it. Maybe he just means in general. Maybe it's somebody that know, has known me way back when, just realized we had a podcast, thought he'd write in and ask, what the hell is wrong with me? Albert? <laughs> I think them Star Wars sequels broke you. <laughs> Sandra? (laughs) I I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) There you go, Red Five Guy. If you care to be more specific in specific areas, I'm sure they both will be happy to answer. (laughs) There's something wrong with you in a lot of different areas, and it's just hard to narrow it down. (laughs) (laughs) I refuse to have my mother guest host this program. (laughs) Oh, and he was five. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of trauma there. (laughs) Everything was going smoothly until 1976. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
The Carter I'm, administration. <laughs> I brought sandwiches, but Stan didn't tell me no one was going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and to round out the emails this week, Albert, what is your all-time favorite movie? It doesn't have to be a comic book movie, but if it is, what's your all-time favorite non-comic book movie? Hoping to make Choir Boy and the Church of Albert the other Hemingway. Oh, my God. <laughs> huh. Well, my favorite movie is just RoboCop. Really? Yeah, well, my favorite movie. That should have occurred to me, and I, I and it didn't even cross my mind, because I was wondering that. And that's not a comic book movie, so. Not in this. It's a superhero movie, but it's not a comic book movie. I don't even think it's a superhero movie. Yeah, superhero movie. Of course it's a superhero movie. He's just a cop. <laughs> But he's a RoboCop. <laughs> he's, he's, the, he's the future of law enforcement, Steve. They're not remaking it. They're coming back and inside the original RoboCop continuity, they're making a new movie. No, they're making a prequel or something. I don't know. It sounds it's stupid. Prequel. What I read said it was a sequel and that it was completely disregarding the reboot movie. The original RoboCop hasn't been RoboCop since the first movie, right? Was he in the second movie? No, he, he, was, was in the, yeah. he was in the second one. He, he was. was in the, Peter he Willow, in, wasn't he? Peter yeah. Willow, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't in the third one. No. I thought he was. I don't, I don't. Third one's garbage, so I don't, I don't know. Was the third one the new one? No, the third one was actually rated PG-13. He got a jetpack. Wait a minute, which one had the little kid yeah. in it? That was, that was the, the second one had the, the one with the kid, and the, and the junkie was RoboCop 2. Oh, my yeah, God. that was the, the one that Frank Miller was all over. Yeah. RoboCop 3 was written by Frank Miller. Yeah, RoboCop 3 was written by Frank Miller, too. What it is, I think a lot of the, that stuff was just bastardization of what he had done, because there's an actual Frank Miller's RoboCop comic that has his actual stuff in it. Avatar put that out. It had, a uh, what's his name? Rip, R-Y-P is his last oh, name. Oh, yeah, Juan, Juan Jose Rip. I believe he did the artwork on it. It was a really good comic. For that style, he's amazing. Yeah. Warren Ellis used him a good bit on some Avatar stuff as well. Yeah. Okay, let's review some comics from this week. Y'all ready? Yep, yep. DC Comics. DC stands for Detective Comics, Albert. Did you know that? No. Yes, it does. Detective Comics was the first book National Comics published. I didn't know that. Now it's DC Comics, and they later became Washington Comics. Then for a brief period of time, they were known as Superman Comics. I thought it stood for Die Comics. <laughs> no, that's what Miss Lifford is changing uh -huh. to. Yeah, there we go. First up this week, Flash, number 763. New creative team on it, writer Kevin Shinnick, artist Clayton Henry. Man, as much as I like Jeff Johns, I greatly lament that he rewrote Flash so that Barry's main focal point is his mother's death. Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, at some point you figured some writer, other writer would just move on from it, but they don't. No, they don't. And now they've tied the ring to it. The ring is now intrinsically tied to Barry Allen's mother's death. This is why I like Wally way better in that role. Wally is a hero mainly because he wants to be, not because he feels responsible for someone dying. Yeah. And before anybody says, oh, no, he feels responsible for Barry Allen dying in the original crisis. No, no, no. That was just a catalyst to move him forward. Wally was a hero long before Barry ever died. Not every hero needs a tragic backstory. And I don't feel that Barry Allen needed one either. I'd, I'd just really rather them get back to Wally West. As for the new issue overall, meh. There are some cute one-liners, I thought, but that's about it. It feels like 
Shinnick is only aware that the Flash runs really fast and he doesn't incorporate the other powers. For instance, there's a scene where an item gets tossed into a crowd of five bad guys. And this isn't a problem for Flash because there's no way he doesn't see where that item goes, given his metabolism. I like the plot that someone stole his ring. That, that's that fine, but the, but like yeah, the writing just wasn't too much of anything, and the artist is he's fine, but I don't think that artist is suited for a Flash book. Okay, now I'm going to disagree with you on the artist. Uh, I actually liked his art in context of the Flash book. I'd need a few more issues to really fill Clayton Henry out. I like the whimsical aspect of it. I think he needs a better writer. I think if you put Peter David writing something and Clayton Henry doing the art, you'd have a real winner. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just... Well, we're both kind of meh on this. Am I right? Well, like they're they're clearly just trying to kill time for whatever they want to do post-metal. So it's, it's like Justice League to an extent. Yeah. They can justify at least something being put out there because the sales are there, but there's nothing to do until metal wraps up. The idea of the story itself, I believe, was a good concept, but the story as it plays out does not work at all if you acknowledge Flash's actual power set. Overall, it felt a little bit condescending, but I did like the art. I gave the writing a two. I gave the art a four, the dynamic a two. My score was 2.7. No, I gave it straight twos. Straight twos? Okay, we're not too far off from one another. I just like the art a little more, it seems. Superman, number 26, writer Brian Michael Bendis, and art by Ivan Rees. It's readable. I was hoping for a little bit stronger follow-up because I like this U25, but they spend too much time on the Clark Kent stuff compared to the actual Superman stuff. I was actually okay with the Clark Kent stuff. I like the way the Daily Planet is protected. There's a little bit of thought that went into this. Yeah, but we already know all this stuff, though. Yeah, we do. I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a three. I was feeling more favorable toward it. My score for this issue was 3.2. Yeah, I gave the writing a dynamic a three and the art a four. Still gets a little over overwritten here and there, but it's manageable. Okay, but it's readable. It makes yeah. sense. You know it's, who's saying it's, it's fine yeah. as a comic. Yeah. You know, it's not a bad comic. At I, least I, this issue is it. You see, but I really want to ask more of Superman and action comics, and I really think it's time they delivered more. I understand that Grant Morrison thinks he has said everything he has to say with All-Star Superman, but we need a Grant Morrison-level writer to come into Superman, a high-concept writer that can pull it off. The aliens from space that are his power level, that's all cute and kitsch and been done and been done for over a thousand issues now. We need high concept stuff for Superman to deal with from a practical every man's point of view. I agree completely. Detective Comics number 1028, meaning that Batman has appeared in 1001 Detective Comics. Writer Peter J. Tomasi and art by Nicholas Scott. This book was grounded. It was solid. And as much as I enjoyed Joker War, I have to acknowledge that Joker War was spectacularly over the top. And Tomasi, he just seems to know what we needed right after it. So he gives us a clear, basic, grounded Batman story that gains ground from Joker War, but is a much more reined-in situation. 
And it's also just a one-issue story. Yes, it is. You get little clues here and there about you know, the aftermath of Joker yeah. War, but you're, it's not overbearing. It gives you a simple, straightforward, good, solid Batman story. Outstanding work. I think the combination of T4, James Tenney and the Fourth, on Batman and Tomasi on Detective are the dream team for the two main Bat books. Yeah. I thought the artwork was outstanding as well. Yeah, they did a real good job with this book. I gave the writing a five and the art and dynamic a four. Well, I just went ahead and gave it straight fives. I thought it earned it. Being the first book out after Joker War, that was not going to be an easy situation. Tomasi just went the opposite way everybody would have expected with it. In my opinion, just completely delivered. That's a good book. Death Metal, number four, standard series. This is not a one-shot. This is your average issue of Death Metal. Writer Snyder, art by Capula. I so do not care about this. Well, it's the best issue of the main series so far, but to me, that's not saying too much. No, it's really not. Let me ask you a question. Did, did I go blind or something? Where did the Alfred boxes come from? Was that not something that they've already covered? Uh, it may have been. They've I mean, already covered that, yeah. Okay. I'm sure they said something in one panel and I fell asleep during it or something. I, why is this not over? I don't think it's worth your money. Don't buy it. I was talking to Albert before the show. We do not discuss what we're going to say on the air. But I had to ask Albert right out of the gate because I read two different websites reviews on this book. And I'm like, am I losing my mind? Am I just not seeing something? I read the actual book twice before making a final decision about it. I don't know if there's a payola scheme going on with this or not. Don't believe the other websites. This is a bunch of mishmash. This is the only good thing I think that has come from death metal is the Tinian issue, which we raved about last, I think it was last podcast, wasn't it? Or the one before, I can't remember. Yeah, the last one or the one before was the Tinian one-shot, which focused on John Stewart and Guy Gardner, a bunch of different situations. I'm just not seeing it. I know what a good comic book is, and this is not a good comic book. I gave it a score of one. To be fair, Capullo's art is... Is really really no, good. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that to it. Well, my issue is it was it was real good until the the Batman who laughs shows up at the end. It's like, ha ha, y'all did exactly what I wanted y'all to do. But that's the you whole know? series. That's all of it. That's all we've gotten the last three years from DC is the Batman who laughs showing up saying it looked like I was losing, but I was actually winning. I, I mean, gave the writing of one and the dynamic of one and the right and the art of four. Yeah, the art is great. I'm not. He does great work, but it's just. Uh... We've gotten this Batman. OK, we, we all admit it. Batman who laughs is God. You've won, Snyder. Nobody can beat him. Short of Moon Knight, with the Phoenix Force and Thor's hammer and Spider-Man's web shooters coming over the DC universe, you've got it, man. Now, please leave DC Comics. Ouch. I'm tired of it. (laughs) Speaking of please leave DC Comics, Rorschach, number one, by Tom, CIA spook king, Art by Jorge Fornes. You want to read Rorschach? Read Watchmen, the original Watchmen by Alan Moore. It's only read Watchmen. Yeah, that's it. Stop right there. You don't need to go any further than Watchmen. This is just King trying to grasp at the pants leg of a talent so far beyond himself that he may as well just try to beat Michael Phelps at swimming. He'd have a much greater chance of that than he would ever approaching the talent that Alan Moore has in his pinky. Wait, it takes place now, doesn't it? It takes place in 2020? Yeah, except everybody's using beepers. 
And somehow Rorschach's alive or something, or they yeah. say he's alive? Yeah. yeah, the actual Rorschach is somehow alive, or at least that's supposed to be the the amazing revelation that Arthur Tom King has written in issue number one of Rorschach. Everybody needs to keep in mind also that Tom King is a CIA spook. I know he says he's quit and he's left the CIA, but you don't quit the CIA. You're you're CIA till you die. That's exactly right. So you have to keep that in mind to know that every comic book he writes, he does so in a pathetic attempt to either undermine or manipulate the reader to his and the Central Intelligence Agency's own ends. It's all ultra ultra MK stuff. Clearly, he's not writing comics, he's writing propaganda to his own end. If you read Strange Tales this week, and we strongly suggest that you don't, you can clearly see where King initiates an anti-woman agenda by trying to say that Adam Strange's wife manipulated Adam Strange into genocide, and then trying to, (laughs) I don't know, uh, seduce Mr. Terrific with her sexual whereas, suggesting, you know, sleep with me and make all this go away. King is very heavy-handed and very obvious. These books are just a way for him and the CIA to create more Unabombers. I'm coming more and more convinced of that every day. And as soon as I figure out why he had any protection removed from uh, Catwoman's armpits, I'm sure the whole thing will come together. Did he do that? Yes. That's completely him. He has an armpit. Are we armpit sure? I thought, no, that was, I thought that was after King. Most CIA operatives have a sick armpit fetish. And King clearly has illustrated his. What are you on about? Well, they wouldn't let him remove the protection from Batman's armpits. So he said, can we do it to Catwoman? Because I hate women anyway, as you'll see in the upcoming Strange Tales. Uh, Excuse me, I have to go get some tinfoil. You mean Strange Adventures? (laughs) Strange Adventures. I'm obviously not on the same frequency that you guys are getting. Tom King doesn't even know which book he's writing, Strange Tales or Strange Adventures. Again, King is heavy-handed and obvious. This is him attempting to implement himself into a masterpiece, Watchmen, which he knows he'll never, ever, under any circumstances whatsoever, no matter how hard he tries or how many words he types on his little word processor, will he ever approach the greatness of Alan Moore. Good art, though. Yeah, the art was fine. (laughs) I gave the writing a one, I gave the art a three, and I gave the dynamic a one because Alan Moore, as much as Albert was right about him in the beginning of the podcast, Alan Moore is right when he makes the statement of you cannot do anything without anything original, you have to continue to go back and reference my creations. He's absolutely right about that. They rip off him and they rip off Frank Miller repeatedly. And that's because, once again, Tom King has no talent. I think that's going a little far. Uh, I don't. And clearly... Well, see, we don't even know if Tom King's writing this. It could just be a team of CIA spooks that do yeah, all this hey, writing. We okay. don't even know that Tom King's an actual person. Clearly, he's not. <laughs> you guys have gone off the deep end. I can't even go and read an article without coming back and hearing something. I'm sitting here going, what? <laughs> Let him pick on another innocent artist who has to bury his dog the same week that Tom King accuses him of bullshit. See where it gets him then. Yeah. Keep in mind, everybody, when you see the name Tom King, you may as well see the words Central Intelligence Agency. I don't even read his comics unless I'm wearing glasses that have uh, aluminum foil over the frames. <laughs> oh my God. That's a good suggestion. 
That's a very good suggestion. I usually sit across the room from the screen, so whatever rays are coming through doesn't you know get to me from the iPad. But yeah, in conclusion, Tom King cannot write, has not an ounce of creativity, and is a CIA spook. Well, he doesn't write. It's like the fifth floor on the CIA building. Those are the dudes that are the writers. Oh, is it the room they keep all the monkeys in with the brother word processor? No, no. <laughs> it's not monkeys. It's squirrels. Squirrels. <laughs> Well, they probably we got laws against using monkeys for that stuff. (laughs) DC Comics presents The Doomed and the Damned by various writers, various artists. This is their Halloween issue, and whereas I was a little disappointed with the Swamp Thing Halloween special, this one delivers. I actually thought the whole thing was great. I did too. I think it is worth your $9.99. I gave it straight fives. Okay. I'll go with that, too. I was going back and forth on a couple of things, but yeah, Straight Fives, definitely worth your $9.99. It has several anthology stories in it. Which one was your favorite? Probably the second one, Batman Okay, the Kid. I yeah. thought that one was really great. I also, really, I, and the first one I thought was real good, too. I agree with you about the Batman one. I think that was my favorite, but I really did like the Aquaman Frankenstein one yep. simply because of Aquaman's baby, the little princess. Yeah. To be fair, it wasn't as good as the other stories in there, but it was cute and it was well-written. It was enjoyable. It was fun watching Aquaman and Frankenstein and the new baby princess. Definitely, definitely worth your $9.99. Fives across the board, right? I gave it straight five. Over at HBO Max, J.J. Abrams' vaunted contract that we kept hearing about Green Lantern and Superman, the only thing they've actually announced is J.J. Abrams is bringing Constantine and Zatanna to HBO Max, and that's in development. TV shows or one show? That has TV shows, apparently series, that'll coincide with the Green Lantern series. Two series or one series? Two series. Okay. Constantine and Zatanna are both in development at HBO Max. I don't know. They did release more information on the Green Lantern series. It's going to revolve around the two new Green Lanterns, Boz and what's her name? Jessica. Jessica Cruz. And have Guy Gardner and Kilowog in it. Yeah. And they said rather than dismiss the Green Lantern movie, it was going to enhance it. I don't know if I like the way that sounds. Well, you don't waste... Hal and John Stewart on that TV show. I was expecting it to be John Stewart. I was kind of hoping it to be John. They're not going to waste him on a TV show. So long as nobody has said Kyle Rayner, I'm good. That's season two. Oh God. (laughs) Aftershock Comics. We live number one, written and arted, (laughs) written and drawn by the Miranda brothers, Inaki and Roy. Colors by Eva De La Cruz. And I'm pointing out the colorist on this because it's important. This book was extremely well colored. This was a really good comic. It really was. It knocked it out of the park on the first issue. Very good first issue. It was a nice story set up. The Miranda Brothers put enough original spins on these standard sci-fi situations that, I mean, it really drew me in. Plot is we're, we're getting to the end of the line on the human race, but an alien race or something? Yeah, it's an alien race. Yeah, has decided, hey, we're going to save 5,000 of your kids. We've dropped these pods everywhere, and these pods are these arm bracelets or arm braces or whatever. 
when you find one, give it to a kid and then have that kid be at a certain location at a certain time and we're going to take them up. Apparently that alien race was just swinging through the galaxy and only had room for 5,000 children. Yeah, so it's a bus driver, but one of the passengers is a kid with one of these things. And it's not a given that every character you meet in this story is going to make it to that final destination at all. It's very sort of outlandish, very colorful, interesting designs of the creatures and everything. So they they do a very, very good job of it. It, Great characterizations. I highly recommend giving it a look. I enjoyed reading it. I'm on board with this, I gave the writing a four. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a five because the way the art works with the colorization, score of 4.3. Highly recommend this one. I gave the writing a four and the art and dynamic a five. Awesome. So you're at 4.7. I'm at 4.3. Yeah. You could you could do a lot less than giving We Live, number one, from Aftershock Comics a try. After this is over, I think I want to see more from the Miranda Brothers. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm calling them brothers because I think I read somewhere they're brothers. If I'm just... Imagining that, I apologize. Does it not say that on the cover? Oh, it does say that on the cover. Thank God. Okay. I think it does or something. (laughs) Yes, it does. It does say the Miranda Brothers on the cover. (laughs) That's a close one there. (laughs) Dear Mansplainer. (laughs) How dare you assume? (laughs) The more you talk, Stan, the more I begin to to realize what that question may be referring to. It's like, oh, maybe he's referring to that. Oh, maybe he's referring to that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe he's referring to the fact that I can't pronounce anybody's last (laughs) name. No, I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Boom Studios. Once in future number 12, this ends the second story arc, and this is an ongoing book, thank God. Writer Kieran Gillen, artist Dan Mora, I want this hardcover. I want them to take all 12 issues. I'm trying to think back. Has Boom Studios ever produced a hardcover book? I just want to say that my real last name is March. <laughs> Stan's just been saying it wrong for years. He's never, he was, he's never said my name right. Your last name is Marsh, the same as the little South Park character, pal. <laughs> no, it's March. M-A-R-C-H. And my my name isn't Sandra. It's actually Xander. He, he never gets it right. I kept telling him my name was Susan. <laughs> That's right. Who was it at the store that kept calling me Sarah? I kept thinking, Why? who the hell is Sarah? Sarah was the young woman that worked at the store for the first two years. I know, but he kept calling me Sarah. And I'm like, I'm not me. I'm not Sarah. Well, I think the whole thing is he assumed you were Sarah because everybody kept talking about a Sarah, but Sarah had moved away. Oh, you were always in the store, so <laughs> you were That's honorary right. Sarah. That's right, honorary Sarah. I don't know. I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was Hickey, but somebody would kept calling me Sarah, and I'm like, I'm not Sarah. <laughs> All right, Sandora and Mr. March, would you like some <laughs> Once in Future King number uh, once in Once in Future number twelve? I, I don't know if Boom has ever made a hardcover of this. Sure, they have. They, I they think they made. Did they? They put that all sorts of different formats. I think I want the first twelve issues in this and hardcovers volume yeah. one. I consider it as mu- a must-have. It's one of my mostest favoriteest comics ever. I okay. love the book. I love Kieran Gillen. All right, so apparently at some point they put out something called Tag. The Deluxe Edition by Keith Giffen. I have no idea what that is. So if they put that out, surely they'll put out 
Once and Future King. Yeah. Well, uh, Once and Future. This is an outstanding book. I mean, he is not running out of steam at all on this. It keeps interest because he's obviously got this thing highly planned out. Yes, he does. Like very, very detailed planned out about, about the arcs, about the characters, when things happen and how they happen. None of this is done on the fly. No, and he knows his material. He's steeped in the material that he can mold it and shape it enough to fit the story without hurting the original source of these stories. I just gave the, yeah, everybody knows, I just gave the book the entire first 12 issues a score of five. Dan Mora's art is outstanding in it. The characterization is off the charts. I love this book. One of the best books out there. If you haven't picked it up and taken a look, you, you need to do yourself a favor and do that. I'll agree with that. Straight fives. Image Comics. Commanders in Crisis, written by Steve Orlando, art by David Tinto. On the Pull List podcast, I was excited about this. I saw the breakdown on this and I thought, hey, this is going to be something. I went into it, not necessarily with high expectations, but I went into it expecting to be entertained and it was a major letdown to me. In the introduction, they talk about like event comics and how ambitious it is. I think Dan Didio did the four to this. And yes, he talking about how ambitious it was to try and do that with characters that nobody even knows about. And I think that's the truth because I don't care about any of these characters. I don't know any of them. They just appeared right now. And there's nothing in here so far that is really, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I have a stake in these characters. And then the ending, my God. It fell flat. It was a bad animated Justice League. It was worse than a Super Friends episode. But the Super Friends at least have characters that you're emotionally invested in. Right. Even if it's a completely ridiculous premise and you're asking, why doesn't Wonder Woman need a space helmet for air? (laughs) And things like that. Yeah, I was completely let down by it. I think you can pass on this one. I gave the writing a two, the art a three, the dynamic a one. My overall score was two. I'm going to say the writing was a one. The art was barely a two and the dynamic was a one. Okay. So even worse than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just really let down by that. Stealth number six, writer Mike Costa and art by Nate Belligard. Albert, we did start reading this book and we fell off of it during COVID and we've come back for the last issue. What was your take on it? It was good. I liked it. They did a good bit more with it than you figured they'd do after that first issue. Well, I liked the first issue. It was a decent setup and you had the situation with his father where you didn't quite know what was... We thought we knew what was going on there, but we clearly didn't. I thought it was a very solid superhero story with a decent twist. It's well worth picking up the six issues in trade paperback when it comes out. I don't think this is a continuing comic. I think this is just a six-issue story arc, at least for now. Yeah, this didn't seem like it was. You know what sold me on this as opposed to, say, Avengers and Justice League and Death Metal currently? This had a firm footing in everything a superhero should be. Yeah. It was hopeful and it was uplifting. It was not, I mean, yeah, there's sci-fi aspects to it, but it was not completely over the top. It wasn't out of the realm of what you would be willing to accept. I gave the writing a four. I gave the art a three, the dynamic a five, the overall score a four. I do think the trade paperback of the first six issues is definitely worth it. I gave the writing a four and the art and dynamic a three. Do you think the trade paperback is worth picking up for him? Yeah, I'd get it in trade. No problem. Oni Press. Because Sandra recommended this last week. Only press the vein number one. I did not. (laughs) Don't blame me on this. Look, it's a vampire comic from the creators of Spy Island. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Spy Island has nothing to do with it. The Vein, number one. 
written by Elliot Rahul, art by Emily Pearson. Everybody thinks they have an original take on vampires, but they really don't. They really don't. don't. Not no, they don't. One. No one's got an original take on vampires. I've seen the blood bank thing pulled off in other movies before. I think there was one old movie with Jim Carrey in it where he was not quite Jim Carrey yet and Faye Dunaway, and there was a blood bank scene or something in it. And I may be mistaken. I may be confusing the movies. This book takes itself too seriously to be fun kitsch, and it's not serious enough to be shocking or any real form of horror. We open on them robbing a blood bank in the 1940s. There's vampiric sapphic interludes and vamps wanting to fight Nazis because Nazis are evil. First off, the word Nazi in this day and age has come to mean practically nothing, since no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, there's aspects of the other side that are going to call you a Nazi. Doesn't matter. Back and forth across the aisle. That lends me to believe that when the real Nazis actually show up again, we're all in a hell of a lot of trouble. (laughs) There there ain't no real Nazis no more. Hitler's dead. No, I still think they have that moon base. (laughs) You've seen the moon base thing, right, Albert? <laughs> that movie? Well, it's more than a movie. There's the Nazi bell conspiracy. That uh, God, they... that, that is the dumbest thing. <laughs> like all them UFO shows talk about that stupid Nazi bell. <laughs> like, like they all got something. Oh, we well, got okay. it figured out. It's just Nazi bell. Somehow or another... The Nazis created a flying saucer that's also a time machine. Let's pretend for a second, though, that vampires are real. (laughs) What's worse, the Nazis or vampires who eat humans? (laughs) Probably Nazis. Okay. All right. But (laughs) see, vampires don't have like a a unified belief structure. They're just vampires. That's true. You know, Nazis are Nazis. You sort of got to deal with their beliefs and everything. Yeah, it's harder to kill a... Okay, that's a good point. Okay, so I'll go with that. Actual Nazis, actual real Nazis, the ones that were hanging around in the 1940s are worse than vampires. It was all much more simpler to me when Captain America beheaded a Nazi vampire. I think that took care of everything in one swift stroke of that shield. That's right. Yeah. I never sat around to think, do vampires want to fight Nazis or why? If it's just regurgitation of stuff we've read before, if they had went way over the top, maybe it would have been so bad that it was good. But as it stands, I really just think that the vein number one is forgettable. I don't see y'all actually actually read that. Well, Well, it's it's an issue one. Yeah, it's an issue one. We got to give them a try. We don't have to, but I can't believe. I was about to say. I can't believe we read Spy Island, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I gave the writing a two, the art of two, and dynamic a one. I didn't care too much for it. I just gave it straight twos, but I agree with your assessment as well. You can probably skip this one. <laughs> We're vampires, and we want to go fight Hitler. I just pray to God Optimus Prime has already left. <laughs> but See, Optimus, that's, that's Hitler. Bumble, Bumblebee, everyone deserves a second chance. <laughs> That's true, but if Megatron gets that energon. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, IDW, that's my pitch. (laughs) If I see it turn up in any format without giving me proper credit, we're going to have a problem. (laughs) I can't wait till I get a cease and desist letter. What is that Transformer Adolf Hitler book coming up? There is a Ninja Turtles comic where they went and punched Hitler. 
Well, that's okay because they're going to punch Hitler. <laughs> My setup <laughs> is that the Autobots have to work with Hitler to prevent Megatron from getting Energon <laughs> from the Alps. <laughs> telling you that that email question is becoming more and more clear <laughs> everybody's punched hitler captain america's punched hitler over 200 times <laughs> Ooh, pitch for marvel captain america has to team up with hitler to stop the red skull oh, God. <laughs> so wrong. wait i have an idea let's combine the batman with the joker and then give him dr manhattan's power <laughs> I'm a comic book genius. <laughs> Marvel Comics. <laughs> I think you've been hanging out with Dr. Doom's cocaine bear. <laughs> Avengers number 37. Writer Jason Aaron. Art by Javier Garon. Oh, are we talking about the Marvel books now? Yes. Avengers number seven. 37. <laughs> Avengers number 37. And I got God. both of their names right. <laughs> I can't believe there's been 37 issues of this book. Well, they wrapped this arc up pretty fast. Yeah, amazingly fast. <laughs> I'd like to share my favorite quote from the book. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> Rarg, too many mummies. She-Hulk. <laughs> Once again, all you female comic book fans out there in podcast land, the message is you can be physically strong as a female or you can be smart, but you can't be both. Look up Marvel Comics address and send you emails. I, I have no idea what the heck he's doing with this. It needs to stop whatever it is. Well, any of it. The whole thing was just was cringeworthy. I have well, him, and, him and Snyder trying to outdo one another. I really do think that. I think him and Snyder get on the phone at night and laugh their asses off. Can you believe we're getting away with this? <sighs> yeah. And Snyder's like, I've practically destroyed DC Comics. <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron's, Aaron's trying to figure out a way to get rid of Ewing and Hickman. The end of it, when Wolverine walks out, I got six of them right here. I, honest to God, think Jason Aaron is purposefully writing cliche versions of the characters at this point. What is this man? What is Wolverine smoking that he thinks he's just gonna claw the phoenix to death? I mean, I don't, I don't. Well, better yet, what the hell were the X Men doing while Conchu, yeah, destroyed half of Manhattan and built a pyramid, <laughs> or the Fantastic Four, for that matter? Jason Aaron's a far better writer than this. I really think that he's just messing with us. You're just taking a piss, huh? I don't know what he's doing, but I mean, his current books, like the image book he's got going, two of the image books he's got going, top-notch stuff. He's doing a wonderful job on those. But you go over to Avengers, and we've got Moon Knight with Phoenix and Thor's Hammer and uh, and and people saying stupid, stupid things. Because we're the people who hold gods accountable, and you are hereby under arrest? What the hell? Yeah. What, what the Really? You're going to arrest him? And then what? He doesn't just... do the he doesn't do the argument with God nearly as well as Jim Starlin does. No. And now my mallet of moon rock shall disrespect thy face. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Every time one of these characters opens their mouth, it really was. It, it was just horrible. What the heck? Since when does Black Panther or Wakanda control basically the magical energies of, of the Western Hemisphere or the Eastern Hemisphere? or the Southern Hemisphere, or the Northern I Hemisphere, don't. why did 
Jason Aaron, why did you write all that crap with Doctor Strange getting sick, people in his basement, when he could have just dialed up Wakanda and said, hey, man, can you take care of this Shuma Gorth end of the universes for me? It just, I understand that the Black Panther and Wakanda are, what, million, billion dollar properties now, but they really don't need to be doing Well, so everything. are the Avengers. You can't underscore the how much the Avengers have brought in. Black Panther has got a spotlight on him. That doesn't mean that we sacrifice the Black Panther's actual characterization to try to make him this invulnerable, unbelievable situation. I mean, what, what made the Black Panther the Black Panther is he was human. He's written as a human. And this is basically not selling that anymore. I guess <clears throat> if you're a kid, you might really like all these big Red pages of crazy action that doesn't make any sense. And those I'm not kind a of- kid, and I like big spread pages of crazy action, but I like them to be coherent and make sense and not insult me. Well, or be, as you said, cliches. I mean, these are just these are not the characters. This is not what they're saying. I don't I don't understand what's going on. Take this comic book. Take these last six issues of Avengers. Sit down and read them, and then read Dark Phoenix from the late 70s, early 80s, or the Galactus saga, or the Kree scroll War, and come out and tell me which ones are better. Admittedly, those are all heavy-hitting classics, but even when comic books were considered by the majority of people to be cliches, they weren't this badly cliched. And Jason Aaron's way more gifted than this. He is. I, I really do think that he's just doing this for some reason that we're not privy to. When I read the line from Thor about my moon rock is going to disrespect your face, I'm thinking, is this the same guy that wrote the God Bomb and Gore the Butcher? It's not. Thor and Avengers doesn't read anything like the Thor that Jason Aaron wrote for almost six years. Albert? Y'all said everything. Okay. (laughs) I gave the book a two. Javier Garrett's art was off a little bit in this. Iron Man's hands looked weird in several spots. Several of their hands and torsos looked a little off to me. I just gave it a two. I still really like the art. I gave the art a four, the writing a two, and dynamic a three. Sandra? God, no way. No. No way what? (laughs) You said art a four. Yeah. Art a four, but a dynamic of three? Yeah, art. Okay, well. Wait a minute. I, mean, I like the coloring and everything. Oh, the coloring was fine. The, there was a few, some some things didn't look quite right to me. I, I'm going to give the writing a one, the art, yeah, I'll give the art a three, and the dynamic a one. Warhammer 40K, Marnius Calgar, written by, at first I thought that was the writer. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was saying, I read this because of the writer, and I don't recognize that name. Warhammer 40K, Marnius Calgar, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Jason Burroughs. Technically, I thought there was nothing wrong with the book. I just don't like it. Warhammer 40K stuff is almost nonsense. I I mean, I'm sure it made sense to the fans, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like all that's set up and that's the way it works, but it's just just so preposterous on purpose. I mean, it's done that way on purpose. That's what I mean by technically there's nothing wrong with the book. The dialogue is fine. The art is fine. It just at no point did I think, oh God, I want to read issue number two. In fact, I'm fairly certain I will not be reading issue number two, but it's not the fault of Kieran Gillen or Jason Burroughs. They did a wonderful job on this book. I'll still read issue two. I like the Warhammer universe stuff. 
I am not familiar with Warhammer other than seeing the pictures. I know Space Marines and a superficial Warhammer knowledge. There's Warhammer, which is the classic fantasy version. Mm -hmm. And then there was Warhammer 40K, which is this. Oh. A few years back, they ended the classic line, I guess, in the lore aspect of it. Moved the timeline of that line way up. It's called like Age of Sigmar. The fantasy stuff, they've got to bring it back. Too many people like it. Writing was fine. Art was fine. You're a Warhammer 40K fan. Go for it. You're going to love this book. Mm -hmm. I gave the writing a three, the art a four, and the dynamic a one because I just can't. It's just not bringing me into it. I think what would have raised the dynamic is if they had found a way to make somebody that's completely cold on Warhammer, like myself, intrigued a bit, at least enough to continue forward with it. My score was 2.7. Albert? I just gave it straight threes. It's fine for what it is. I'm going to give it fours. But again, this may not be for you. It's kind of like Inkblot. You may not be the audience it's aimed for. But to me, this this sounds like my kind of thing. Amazing Spider-Man, number 50. Writer Nick Spencer, art by Patrick Gleason. Man, I was hoping for something more. It's really not a bad book, but it was such an obvious choice for the Kindred reveal that it was so obvious I had ruled it out due to the obviousness. So when it became a reality, I was personally let down. But it's not a bad book. They spent so much time on Kindred that didn't wrap it up. They just... Well, no, it's not a wrap-up to the storyline, but, you know, we get the reveal. The reveal, it was so obvious that I thought there's no way that it's this individual. It was clearly this individual. I think people had guessed it a long time ago who it was, but even then, there should I think there should have been more to this issue. Just really wasn't anything in this issue beyond some Sin Eater stuff with Norman and the Reveal of Kindred, and that's sort of it. And it seems like if if this is going to be issue 50 and it's going to not wrap anything up and run this stuff on way too long, it should do more. I didn't necessarily think they were going to wrap it up. I was looking for the reveal. I don't know who I wanted. I don't even know if I'd been satisfied if we found out it was that Kindred was Matt Murdock. I, (laughs) I was looking to be able to go, oh, man. That was, yeah, okay. And I didn't get that. I got what the obvious answer is. Yeah. Overall, look, Nick Spencer's run is great. Patrick Gleason does great art. I gave the writing a three, the art a four, the dynamic a three. My score was 3.3. Now I gave the dynamic a two, the writing a two, and the art a four. So you're at 2.7. I'm at a 3.3. Yeah. The buildup for Kindred, this should have been more. It wasn't. So I was kind of let down by that. Nick Spencer's still doing a great job, though. Ten of Swords crossovers. Hellions number five. And we're going through these in order. So if you're reading this, they give you the chapter six, seven, and eight. Hellions comes first, New Mutants, and then Cable. So having shared that with you, Hellions number five, written by Zeb Wells, art by Carmen Carnero. Man, Sinister is awesome. I have hated Sinister from the first appearance forward, but thanks to Hickman and company, and especially Zeb Wells, I think Sinister needs his own solo title. This was absolute fun. It's been my favorite issue of the Ten of Swords, X of Swords to date. This is a really great issue, and it had a different tone compared to the other issues of Hellions. Well, it does, because first off, Sinister is more involved. Yeah. And secondly, we started off with the reincarnation, the rebirthing of Empath. Empath was just absolutely, where's all the idiots that are cheering for me? Actually, we prefer you just go out the back way. (laughs) 
This was outstanding. Empath was written at his horrid best. He was good. The, the plot is pretty much they're going to try to send, to send the Hellions to other world to sort of, I guess, cheat and sabotage the tournament. Yeah, they're going to steal the swords before the others can steal the swords. Yeah. So Sinister comes up with that idea. So they vote to okay it by the, the main council. Then yeah. Sinister runs his mouth, and the, so they vote to send him along with them. Yeah, if he had just shut up at Magneto, yep. that's all he had to do was just shut up and sit down. He couldn't stand it. And Magneto voted he he goes in to lead him. And the interaction between himself and his clone about who's going. Yeah. About and, the cape and everything. Yeah, And then you top that off by Jamie Braddock and Sinister negotiating with each other. That was dizzyingly delightful. I mean, this was just absolute wonderful characterization about characters that heretofore I really did not like, Jamie Braddock and Sinister. Ever since Hickman did that stuff with Sinister during Secret Wars, he is quickly becoming one of my favorites. Yeah. I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a four. My score was 4.3. That's my same score. This was just completely and totally enjoyable. You know he's going to die. (laughs) Oh, he's got to. Yeah. Which one went? Did Sinister go or the clone go? Does it matter? Um, I guess not. Because Sinister in and of himself is a clone of a clone. All he did was vote a version of himself to go. (laughs) I get the cape. (laughs) You may not recognize me because normally I'm wearing a cape. (laughs) (laughs) New Mutants number 13, writer Ed Brisson and art by Rod Rees. This is Ed Brisson's last issue, and I'm I'm just hoping that the next person is able to be half as good as him. Whereas the Hellions issue was an elation and was just entertaining all the way around, New Mutants was kind of a gut punch to me. Yeah, but it was still great. No, it was a good book. But, I mean, there's a direct contrast to the tone in New Mutants as opposed to what we come off of in Hellions. You read Hellions before New Mutants, you read New Mutants, and damn, Ileana looks right in Doug's eyes and tells him, look, pal, I'm going to do everything I can, but you're going to die. Doug's going to win it. Uh, well, yeah, I think we're being set up for that, too. Yeah, I, I think I think they're going to get in there and all because, you know, a sword is just Warlock. Yeah. Warlock is like, you just stand there. I'll do all the work. Because I have a sentient sword. That sword, you know, he didn't do anything while they were training. He just sort of there. So I'd imagine once the real fighting starts, that's there's a that lot Warlock. more going on with that sword than any of the other ones. But poor Doug. I mean, you f- can't help but feel sorry for him. Yeah. This code that Ileana and Cyclops have going on between them. We learn a little bit more about it in Cable, but they've clearly set up an alternate plan for if things go bad. Yeah, there's something there involving Scott. Yeah, Scott and Ileana are both on the same page about something, and that's pretty damn awesome, that in and of itself. Yeah. I'm very much enjoying this whole event. I was not looking forward to this event, but each passing issue, even with the ones where it's just the MacGuffin is get the sword, these are great stories. I'm really enjoying this. I gave the writing a five, the art of four, and the dynamic of four. My score on New Mutants was 4.3. I gave the art a five and the writing dynamic a four. Okay, so both of us gave it a 4.3. And to round out this week's Mutant Books... Cable, number five, again, Ten of Swords crossover. Writer Jerry Dugan and art by Phil Noto. The great thing about all of the X books now is how they utilize different characters and they all sing different verses of the same song, but they do it in sync with all the other books. 
when you sit down and read all three issues, the way these issues play off each other and tie in is how you should do a tie-in. But I don't just think it's for the Ten of Swords. I think that's been going on like that normally with the normal issues of each of these comics. You can enjoy one aspect of this song, but when you put it all together and get this full orchestra going, it's something to be reckoned with. I thought it was outstanding characterization. Cyclops sounds like Cyclops. I enjoy the younger Cable far more than I've ever enjoyed the older Cable. It's a great setup. I gave this one fours across the board. I think that's my score too on that. And to round out the Marvel comics, I know we talk about it each issue, but we kind of got to. Immortal Hulk number 38, writer Al Ewing, art by Joe Bennett. This is the most efficient breakdown of the human psyche and comic book history ever. Yeah, it only takes about three minutes to read. It's not a heavy read, but the no, visualization... No, it's, it's a real fast read. So, But yeah, yeah, but it does everything it set out to do. It really does. It, not, it hits home with you. I feel like I know Bruce Banner more intimately than I know any of the superhero characters, and that's thanks to Ewing. Yeah. I can't describe it past that. He's not my favorite character. It's just like we've been so personal with him in Ewing's run, inside of his head, and things are put there on purpose. That's not how Ewing telling Joe Bennett, uh, just draw a bunch of psychedelic mindscape imagery. Al Ewing is going over with Bennett. What yeah, yeah, everything. To, as yeah. far as the way everything looks, it's you know, it's very deliberate. It's very well thought through. It's very well deliberate. And I don't know how else to put it, but I really am coming away from Immortal Hulk feeling that I know Bruce Banner better than I know any of the other characters. Yep. I feel like I know Doctor Doom inside and out. I feel like I know Wolverine inside and out, but clearly... I don't know them as well as I know the Immortal Hulk, thanks to Ewing's run. I don't know how else to put that. That's real weird sounding, but it's the yeah, truth. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's the way it's all set up. Every Hulk, every version of Banner is just a different piece of Banner, that, and he's fleshed them all out completely. It's a must-have book. You need to read it. Five stars. No big surprise there. Yep, yep. Straight fives. Okay, so y'all heard about Spider-Man 3, right? The third Spider-Man in the MCU with I heard- uh, Tom Holland. I heard rumors, and then some sites are saying it's not a rumor, I guess, to get more clicks than the sites that are saying it's a rumor. So, Okay, well, as of right now, it's only a matter of negotiating the money. Well, Tom Holland's coming back, period, but for Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Benedict Cumberbatch is playing Doctor Strange in it. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that that's not a rumor. I think that was actually no. like yeah. reported by one of the one of the Hollywood comics. Yeah, well, Hollywood Reporter has also um, said about, yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Batch. Toby Maguire and Andrew Garterfield are in final negotiations, but here's something that is about 30% rumor, 70%. Yeah, we kind of all knew it deep down inside. They've been holding casting calls for Miles Morales. A live action Miles Morales? Yeah, but nobody knows the exact agreement that Sony and Disney currently hold with each other Mm -hmm. concerning Mm -hmm. the Spider-Man universe characters. All we know is that after Sony got their butt on their shoulders and yada, 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 then suddenly everything's greenlit again and Tom Holland is back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Spider-Man. What has been going on behind the scenes has not been announced to the public. Other than like in the Morbius, movie trailer, which we all saw. We see Michael Keaton show up at the end of it, and they don't say he's the Vulture, but yes, he's the Vulture. In the background on the Mobius trailers, you see pictures of Spider-Man on fences and walls that have the word murderer scrolled across his image, relating to the events in Spider-Man Far From Home. 
concerning him and Mysterio. Kevin Feige has been running the game on the Sony Spider-Man movies, or at least overseeing them to some degree, to the point that there's a rumor that the next Venom is actually set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Now, that's complete rumor because we haven't seen anything. We haven't heard anybody official say anything on that. But Morbius is clearly a Sony product that's set inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What I think they're angling at here with the third Marvel Cinematic Spider-Man movie is they're setting up that similar Spider-Verse, multiverse sort of feel, which is going to come right off of the Doctor Strange movie. And Marvel is setting Sony up with its own Miles Morales series that is exclusively Sony, and that this will be a springboard for it. So in other words, it looks like Marvel Cinematic may get to keep Peter Parker, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and Sony can run with its own Spider-Verse series with several of the other Spider characters centered around Miles Morales. Why don't Disney just buy Sony and be done with it? Why doesn't the bigger of the two, Disney, eat the lesser of the two? (laughs) Well, why not? That's how, I mean, it works. I don't know that Disney's interested in buying anything, especially not in the current COVID situation. This would be the best time to buy stuff. Give you plenty of time to work out the deals and get things rolling and everything. Well, ultimately, but Sony is not a lame duck. And also, you've got to keep in mind, Sony is a layered company. Sony doesn't just engage in movies, although it would be completely within the realm of possibility if Sony wanted to sell off all of their movie properties. There's different aspects to Sony. you got Sony America and you got Sony Japan. And Sony is primarily known and makes most of its money off producing electronics. So it's much more difficult, whereas Fox, all Fox was was movie properties and news properties. Disney negotiated out the news properties and retained all the entertainment properties. Plus all those sports contracts I got. Well, that too. But I kind of count that as entertainment. I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. That's what I kind of see happening here is Sony is being set up with its own independent Spider-Man films focusing in and around, say, probably Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, and a few other of the characters while Marvel gets to retain the Peter Parker Spider-Man. So do you think Silk and Spider-Woman and all of that would be with the Sony or with the MCU? Given that Spider-Gwen was in the animated Spider-Verse movie, it's safe to say that there's kind of a cache of properties in and around Spider-Man that's attributed to it. Somewhere there is a list because there was a list of the characters that Fox was able to use from Fantastic Four and the X-Men. The X-Men was just a blanket. Anything considered a mutant was theirs. And a few other things, like Henry Peter Gyrich. Because Fox even got movie rights to characters that were created way after they got the movie rights simply because they're mutants. Yeah, that's true. There was a few other characters that were written into the clause there, but somewhere there's a list. Right now, I think that list may be pretty fluid about what is and what is not happening. Is Sony basically getting the 1610, the ultimate universe? I wouldn't go that far. I would say that they're getting Miles Morales and anything in and around that situation. Now, we don't even know that for a fact. This part is just speculation. What we're fairly certain of is that they're casting, they're looking for a live action Miles Morales. Okay, that has leaked. We're also, you know, it's just a matter of money for Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield at this point to be signing. 
that's pretty much already done on a handshake deal. And we know that there's a multiverse situation coming up, thanks to Doctor Strange, Wanda, and now Spider-Man. I'm just speculating that since we do not know the actual agreement, and people will write in and say, no, 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 the agreement was for Spider-Man to appear in two more Marvel Cinematic Universe movies and uh, one Spider-Man movie. Okay, no, we don't know that. We don't know that at all. We don't know what their current agreement is, given the situation that has occurred with Morbius, because Morbius was one of the Sony-based Spider-Man characters. I believe based on their current agreement, what they're looking at is that a mutually beneficial situation where Sony has a mega successful Miles Morales franchise and Marvel gets to utilize Peter Parker as they need him in the movies. But you know what? I mean, they don't, oh gosh, I know, I'm going to get the hate mail for this. Marvel doesn't really need Peter Parker in the movies. I yes, mean, they do. No, I they think don't. That, yeah, they do. He's like the biggest superhero franchise on the planet. They they have to have him. They don't have Tony Stark anymore. They have to have Spider-Man. Spider-Man no is not a replacement for Tony Stark. You're right, because he's better than Tony Stark. No. He's a bigger franchise that can make more money for a longer period of time. Iron Man's success was based entirely on Robert Downey Jr. Spider-Man's success is not based on the actor that plays him. Well, that's clearly true, considering they've had three. Marvel has, or Disney has, an abundance of riches right now. They've only got one Spider-Man. Well, so what? I mean, they don't need Spider-Man in the universe they're building. I mean, Spider-Man in the universe they're building is just fan service. They've got the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. And what that's else? gonna that's gonna what else are these movies that but fan service. What else would you call them? Well, I think well, I mean, the that is the, they're not trying to win the Oscar for best picture of the year. Well, they're trying to make some money. Of them are. <laughs> no, none of them are. Away from the Oscar thing, I think they could actually pull it off at some point given the right material. But yeah, they kind of do need Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man is as stout, if not perhaps stouter than Batman when it comes to merchandising. I'm pretty sure Spider-Man sells more than Batman. I'm pretty sure he sells more than everybody on the face of the planet. It could very well be. Spider-Man was the spokesperson for UNICEF for God knows how long in the late 80s and early 90s. The reason being is because kids in Zimbabwe easily recognized Spider-Man when they saw that face, the face mask. And that's a property that Disney would prefer to have exclusively to themselves. They don't have enough slots. They don't have enough resources to do that they've already launched and the properties that they own now with the Fox merger. They don't need another property to deal with. Okay, but you're looking like this, that it's all Disney, and it's actually not. The Fox properties could be handling some of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. In other words, this is a way to move money around so it doesn't all encumber Disney primary, that Marvel Studios handles this, Fox Studios handles this aspect. Let me give you an example of how the division is working. New Mutants is going to be released on Disney Plus in December for Europe. 
but not for America, because Fox had cut a streaming deal with HBO Max. So when New Mutants gets released over here, it's going to HBO Max and not Disney+. Plus. While Disney ultimately controls the property that is the New Mutants, they are not going to pay out and break contract, break the streaming contract that Fox already has set up with HBO Max from before the Disney buyout of Fox. And that streaming contract runs through the year 2022. So there are certain properties that can't go directly to Disney+. In that same manner, there's certain ways that you can share the expenditure of making these movies with the different studios, even though they all ultimately belong to Disney. You can have Fox spend X amount on a certain movie that falls within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Marvel Studios spend X amount on it as well and then use the Disney Distribution Center to get those movies out there. Given what I said about New Mutants, and also given the fact that Disney has announced this week that, look, we're turning all of our primary efforts towards streaming. And that's something you brought up, didn't you, Sandra? Yeah, yeah, there was some articles. About Disney's killed the movie theaters and so on and so Yeah, Disney hasn't killed the movie theaters. COVID has killed the movie theaters. All of the major studios are going to have to make decisions like this in the coming months. CBS Viacom, Albert was right. CBS Viacom is almost completely combined with Paramount, and CBS All Access is about to switch their name over to something like Paramount All Access or Paramount Live or something along those lines. I forget the exact name, but CBS is about to give up their title moniker of their streaming service and turn it over to Paramount to pull in a larger audience because the Paramount name means there's going to be more high-end movies on it, as well as the CBS shows like Big Brothers, Frasier, Cheers, things like that. Yes, I know Frasier and Cheers appeared on NBC, but they are CBS Paramount properties. We've been in the streaming wars, and now streaming is the lifeboat that all the entertainment studios are running toward. Disney just outwardly stated what everybody else is thinking, that we're turning our primary efforts for entertainment over to the streaming services. They're reorganizing. Reorganizing, yes. That's what they're saying. So uh, I guess creating some, maybe a department that's going to deal with that. Although I also read something that said that HBO Max is actually doing better than Disney Plus, which I I didn't think that was right, but they said they were they had the greatest increase from the last quarter or whatever. In uh, other words, this last quarter they got more new subscribers than Disney Plus did. They're not approaching the number of subscribers that Disney Plus has wow. because Disney Plus is kind of maxing it out here. You're, you're reaching a plateau with how many more subscribers can you get. And we're about to find out because I think you're I think what you're looking at is some major announcements about what was once forecasted his movies being turned into a format to fit Disney Plus. When are they going to do a live action of Black Cauldron? <laughs> They're running out of live action movies to remake to the point we're going to get a live action sequel to The Lion King. Nowhere near. You haven't got live actions of several things. Where's Black Cauldron? Why do you want Black Cauldron? Because it's Black Cauldron. I like the Thorn King or the Horn King. He yeah, he is scary as all get out. You should watch the YouTube video about the Tokyo Haunted House where he hosts it. Where's live action gummy bears? Where's that the, was a uh, that was a Saturday morning TV show. Where's the remake of 
black hole. Oh, actually, that's being tossed around. They're going to get Dennis uh, Dellen, whatever the guy's name is, that did Blade Runner 2049 in Dune. Oh, gosh. They're not gonna him. him. They're going to get him to do it. Jeez, no, 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 no. And it'll actually, actually be watchable this time. Tron, I know that the next Tron movie has moved out of Blue Sky stage and is actually in some form of pre-development. Black Hole is still in Blue Sky stage, but it's coming closer and closer. You're about to get a live-action Lilo and Stitch. Why? Why wouldn't you want a live action Lilo and Stitch? I want something different. I want a live action Brave Little Toaster. Brave Little Little Toaster. Toaster. (laughs) Who owns that? Is that Disney? Yes. Okay. All right. I got to tell you, Sandra, I am probably, I'm going to finish out watching the last, I think we got two episodes, maybe one episode left of Lovecraft Country. Yes. Thank you. Lovecraft Country. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think I am completely disconnected from it now. Oh, really? I'm just not feeling it. I think the most powerful episode for me uh, with the most characterization was the Korea episode. I actually thought this episode was the best episode, like, Mm -hmm. by far. Mm -hmm. Like, not even close. This is the episode that actually did something. No, wait, wait. I'm with you on that. I agree on that. I just don't know that it changed my mind because I had to watch them in a block cluster. But I forgot about that. The story about uh, uncle and the dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. The situation. I thought that was very good. I thought that was very well done. I feel as though we've had missed opportunities to build more of that into the background. Yeah. I mean, we've known for a little while the uncle was actually the dad. Well, we don't we don't know for sure that's the case. Oh, we don't? Mm-mm. We know it could be the case. They don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh. I thought the brothers had an exchange in third episode right before the uncle died. He said that you don't know. We, we don't know if that's his kid. I mean, in this episode, I think it was in this episode or the one before, they revealed that they were kind of like Gene and Scott and Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah, I got um, that. Now, of course, you could figure it out, but with a paternity test, but back then, no. Back then, there's no real way of telling mm-hmm. them. But in all the important thing, I mean, to me, it didn't really matter to Montrose. That was the most important thing, that he was his son. I mean, he considers him his son. It matters to Atticus, though. Yeah. But Atticus now understands what the deal is. All Atticus has seen is the abuse, and now he understands that there's a reason why there's this abuse. Yeah. I think we're going to see an understanding between these two, hopefully next one. I have to agree. For me, the most emotional, engaging uh, episode was the Korean episode. I don't know. I still think it's this episode. This was a good episode, but part of the deal with this last episode is like it finally brought all these threads together because, you know, they've been running around and telling people's different stories. I I think that's what I liked about this episode was it did bring the threads together, but Mm -hmm. I still stand with Sandra. I think that the Korean episode was the most emotionally satisfying. The problem was the tentacle porn kept getting in the way mm-hmm. of that one. Well, see, the Korean episode, I didn't like. Yeah, mm. I know. I, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't like it either. It just didn't. Dear Red Five Guy, what the hell is wrong with Albert? <laughs> <laughs> well, Too late like, in the evening for that. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the actors in it. I just overall, I, I feel kind of, eh. but I also feel that way about Raised by Wolves. I was completely in on Raised by Wolves till the last episode. Well, I, now, yeah, I, don't, I know we got a season two, but there's a lot of explaining that's got to be done about yeah. this. Well, well, to an extent on that, I mean, we already saw giant snake skeleton on the planet. Yeah. And I look at it like this. They didn't cover They've not covered one thing about all this stuff. There's the atheists 
and there's the religious people. If the religious people have a God, do they, do they not also have a devil? And would people not also worship that devil? Well, now, wait a minute. You're going too far. Not if the religious people are the only ones to get on the boat to leave. Yeah, the snake's traditional symbolism, it, it, you know, snakes don't have a great representation. No, but people... But, as the season went on, it was especially in the last episode, that planet was already occupied by people. And that's probably where the technology came from, the make mother. I just don't know. I mean, I know it's got a season two. Does Lovecraft Country have a season two? Yes, Lovecraft Country is already signed up for a season two. How many episodes has, has it got left? I think only one. one. Just, just one. One, one more. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And that's good because now we can get it out of the way because of Star Trek. Just I cannot believe y'all have not watched Lower Decks. Albert, did you at I least? Don't, I don't want to watch Lower Decks. Did you at least watch the one episode I told you to? No, I meant to, and then I, I couldn't. I watched the first episode. The last. No, Stan the, said there's like the last episode or two or something like that. The episode before the last and the last episode are both absolutely hysterical. Everything in it, the second to the last episode deals with Mariner's rebellion issues. Her captain, who is actually her mother also, but they're keeping that a secret, sends her to therapy. And therapy does not work out well for her. And she walks in on the other character who's a major kiss ass. And he's reprogrammed the holodeck with everybody's private logs with all of their private information and everything to recreate the crew as precisely as possible so he can just nail this interview that he has with the captain. Mariner finds out about this and she overrides his program and turns it into a Star Trek movie. It gets hysterical from the Star Trek font with the directed by and stuff coming up and hitting the characters in the heads as it goes over them through space to when they circled the ship. Every bad cliche about a Star Trek movie you can put in there is in this movie. The lens flare is everywhere. They focus on the captain's chair and even the captain's chair has lens flare on the cloth. (laughs) Mariner shows up has a con-esque character quoting Shakespeare very poorly. And it's absolutely hysterical. I had to watch it twice because I missed so many of the lines in it. This show is too good for Star Trek. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm just going to say it. This show is too good for Star Trek. Before this, there was an episode where one of the Lower Decks crew, I forget her name, she's an Orion She created a dog. Look, everybody, I created a dog. And it it looked like a dog sometimes. (laughs) But at one point, it kept turning into different things. And at one point, you see the dog sitting there scratching itself. And then it just turns into a cube and it rolls off. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great series. And now we've got Discovery starting back this week. Don't forget they're doing a Janeway series. Oh, God, no, you're kidding. This is what you've done, Stan. (laughs) This is a joke. You're just yanking my chain. There is no Janeway series. Look it up. No, no. Look it up right now. I want you to look it up right now. (laughs) Right now. (laughs) She's too old. Haven't we put her in a nursing hole yet? Too old. Patrick Stewart. Talking about Patrick Patrick Stewart Stewart. needs a a stunt double to walk up Patrick Stewart is vigorous. No, no, they're considering. Uh, you better go consider something else, CBS. CBS reportedly considering Captain Janeway. The worst, the worst damn, out of all the women that we could have had as captain, we get her. 
I, every other episode, she is crying. And then, you know, we beam in a strong female and she can't take it. So there's a lot of contention off the I, I just, no, 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 no. Yes. Yes. God, they no. should do it. I hope they do it. Star Trek prodigy. Oh, God, no. What? Who? It, can we not put the guys that are doing Lower Decks in charge of Star Trek overall? It's just, oh. It's you see, I'm looking people. forward to Discovery, it's- but... It's all the same people. It's just each show is a different type of joke. What? Now, Lower Decks is great. And I like Discovery. I just don't. God, I cannot believe Captain Jack. Why not Cisco? Cisco's retired. <laughs> Bring him out of retirement. <laughs> no, I mean, the actor, I think, is retired. We admit we screwed up the ending to Deep Space Nine. How many zeros on this check is it going to take to make it right? <laughs> mm. Oh, God. Not Janeway. Not Janeway. You know who they could have made captain of the Voyager? Uh, Shelby. You don't remember Shelby from The Best of Both Worlds? She was gunning for Riker's job. She ended up being Riker's number one during The Best of Both Worlds. Well, I hate to tell you this, Stan, but... God help me, I'm referencing Next Generation, trying to I, stop I them was, I was about to say, from it's, making it's, a Captain Janeway show. <laughs> I'm an OG Star Trek girl, okay? <laughs> I am, too. Uh, I am, well, <laughs> I, I am an OG Star Trek girl, too, Sandra. <laughs> you see, this is how far we've fallen. They even threatened me with the Captain Janeway show, and I'm immediately, hey, the Berber carpeting's fine. <laughs> we, we can, <laughs> let's do stuff with the Berber carpeting again. <laughs> I this guy's email is making more and more sense. What's wrong with Stan? Well, normally I, I am OG Star Trek girl. I want, I want the I want the adventures of young Jellico. I'd actually like that. God. Wow, Jellico shows up and tells everyone to do stuff properly, and everything turns out okay. Yeah. In the end of the episode, turns what? out turns out McCard was an idiot the whole time. Yeah, Jellico. Jellico hated was hated by all the fans because he looked at Troy and said, "Why the f are you in a cheerleader outfit?" <laughs> and he made everybody do their jobs on the ship. Yeah, I don't give a shit that you can play the trombone, Riker. <laughs> oh my friend, I haven't got time for your emotional development. <laughs> Why aren't you in uniform? <laughs> And that was his legit argument to the Troy. I was like, you, you, I want you in uniform. That's exactly right. Yeah, you're an officer on this ship. Wear a damn uniform. Could you imagine the episode where Riker brings that mind control game back home if Jellico had been the captain? Yeah. <laughs> Jellico would have slapped it out of his hands. The hell are you doing? I don't have no time for Nintendo Wii. We are in the middle of space. <laughs> I don't think he'd use language that strong. I don't know. I really like Jellico. <laughs> but that's what he did. He showed up and made everyone do their job. <laughs> it, it, it all worked out great. And he was just like, well, I'll, well I'm, I'm gone, guys. See ya. <laughs> oh, we got Captain Wuss back, so I got to go. <laughs> what? Ronnie Cox is dead, isn't he? I was so about to say, I think couldn't Ronnie get a Cox current. Is, well, that's is, why I said young Jellico. Oh, young Jellico. Who would play young Jellico? Well, was he an admiral in, in Next Gen? And they just. Yeah, I think he was. I mean, yeah, he can still be captain sometime. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Who would we get to play young Jellico? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I can almost hear those keyboards of those Star Trek fans. <laughs> 
we'll get some questions next time, right? <laughs> We're about to find out what's wrong with Stan. <laughs> Because I, I think we're about to get a deluge of opinions on that <laughs> My only problem with Jellico was when he made Troy get into uniform, he didn't say, look, I reviewed your file. Why the hell are you even here? <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm fairly, I'm fairly certain I can tell a hostile Klingon when I see one. <laughs> We're just a couple of weeks away from Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And then WandaVision. And then, yeah, we've got a we got a full palette here. We we could quit screwing around with these shows like Lovecraft Country and Raised by Wolves. Now we can get down to business. <laughs> I like both of those shows. I like Raised by Wolves up to the last episode. And I liked I liked Lovecraft Country, but the more we went on and the less the threads were touched upon until this last episode, uh-huh. it, it just kind of wore on me. What about I, what, what about Brian Cranston as younger Jellico? Ooh, as no. Captain Jellico. I don't no. know. No? Oh. Why Damn not? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with him as younger Jellico? Malcolm, probably- get Dewey out of the airlock. <laughs> He's probably older than the actor that Jellico was when he played him. <laughs> Brian Cranston? Yeah. Yeah, he actually is. Brian Cranston is up there. Ronnie Cox was not a, a spring chicken at that time either. No, no. But he always sort of looked like that. Like, even in RoboCop, he looked like that. Oh, I was upset. The last episode of Lower Decks brought in Riker and Troy. I don't know why. They were is doing there, fine. Is there, is there going to be a subplot about someone stealing his trombone? God. Wow. Oh, Ronnie Cox yeah. was in. I forgot he was in RoboCop. Yes, yeah. Ronnie Cox played every bad guy ever. God, Brian Dick, Dick Jones. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Cranston is sixty-four years old. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Ronnie Cox was born in nineteen thirty-eight. So when did he would have been about sixty years old when he played uh, in Star Trek: Next Gen? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So he was right around the same age. I don't know. I, I could see, I'd like to see a Star Trek with Brian Cranston, a serious Star Trek. I don't want him coming what in if, there laughing. What if there's a, a plot on Lower Decks about the trombone getting stolen and Riker needs it back because he cannot perform sexually unless he, unless he plays his trombone? Is an all sexual performance for men about how you play with the trombone? <laughs> Like whenever you saw him playing it in Next Gen, he was just he was just getting ready for Troy. <laughs> oh my God! I'm getting what's wrong with Stan? <laughs> or maybe even Data? You know, you don't know. <laughs> oh God! All those jokes about Data and Yar, Data entry, and all that. God, now you really have got me thinking who's playing. I think Yar took advantage of him. She should yeah. have been court-martialed for it. Well, yeah, well she died, so. <laughs> Is it the sludge monster that got her or whatever? Yeah, I'm just going to go around this puddle. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've said all that can be said for this episode. <laughs> well, we're going to wind down the program here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Again, if you have an answer to what the hell is wrong with Stan, please feel free to share your opinion with Kingdom Casts 
at gmail.com. That's kingdom, C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com and kingdomcomics at gmail.com and both Kingdom Casts and Kingdom Comics on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So follow us there. Do please follow our podcast. Please do continue to give us five stars if you like us, enjoy us. Continue to share us with your friends out of nowhere, coming up the little chart that I look at on the different cities and different states that are listening to us, Atlanta is still consistently number one, but we've got uh, somebody in Washington state really likes us because they're like midway up the chart or almost midway up the chart there. They've been growing greatly. So we greatly appreciate that. Don't be shy. What better Christmas gift could you get somebody than to turn them on to this podcast? It's free. Yeah. It's free, but pretend these, like you paid and for it. In these hard times, we're always looking to save money. Yeah, if they're not listening now, they don't know it's not free. You can you can print out a fake little sheet saying, "I'm giving you the gift of Kingdom Casts." Listen <laughs> to these yokels. <laughs> What's wrong with that stand guy? <laughs> Why does Albert have a church? <laughs> Who the hell is Namor, and why does that woman keep talking about it? (laughs) Thank you all for listening very much. Do continue to share share us with your friends. Please let us hear from you. We respond in the email as well as, well, we don't respond to everything on the podcast, but we will send you an email back as soon as possible. Got some cool things coming up. And again, pull lists. Monday nights after 10 p.m. It may be one in the morning, but after 10 p.m. Central, pull lists for that week go up so you can run down the list and make sure you're not going to miss out on anything really cool. Anybody got anything else? Sandra? Oh, if you have a couple million dollars uh, laying around and you want to invest, the Gil Kane cover for... Amazing 129. Right. Yeah. The first, first appearance of the Punisher. Two million dollars. Yeah. Is it up to they two million? Think- no, they think it'll go that high. I don't know what it is right now. Yeah, it's yeah. up for auction. It I don't know it'll go that high. Yeah. I'm not a big Punisher fan, but man, that Gil Kane cover is like classic. You know, anybody, classic. anybody, any comic book fan would want that. You don't have to like the Punisher. That's a piece of comic book history there. And it's, you know, primarily Spider-Man. So, yeah. So, okay. Hell? Albert. It's, it's the Punisher. Well, no, it's Punisher on there, but it's the amazing Spider-Man cover. He's got Spidey in the crosshairs. Okay. See what I'm saying? <laughs> I see what you're saying, Stan. You, 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 don't, you don't have to explain it to me, but mainly <laughs> who's on the cover is the Punisher. <laughs> you know, I'm going to start running a tighter ship. Sandra, why aren't you in uniform? <laughs> <laughs> On the bridge, we would appreciate some professionalism. (laughs) Yes, Yes, we would. Let me take it up with my dogs. (laughs) Albert, you got anything? No, I'm good. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Stan Daniel for Sandra Swindle and Albert Marsh. Thank you all for joining us. Tell them good night, folks. Good night, everybody. Should I do that again? Sure. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. 
No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Contrita Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Glenn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved.